Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Second uh, Samuel and chapter nine? Second Samuel chapter nine. Uh, yesterday, as I went, you know, tried to get see my barber very late in the evening. Um, I planned to do it earlier in the afternoon, but again, yesterday we got caught up. And I thought, you know what, I just need to be around, you know, to devote my time to my family in the afternoon. So I went for a late one, and I'm there in the barber shop, and I'm there with my barber, and there's a lady who, I don't know, someone who, you know, she, maybe she drinks a little bit too much. And, um, you know, I think she's Nigerian. She seemed, I think she was Nigerian, and the barber shop is predominantly quite a few Ugandans in there. So they're arguing with her, and she's just being a bit of a menace. Anyway, they're just controlling her. I'm still there, trying to wait to get, I'm just sat in the barbershop, fully surrounded, ready, waiting, and they're still arguing there. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. But along that high street, 4th Street, there is a banqueting hall just uh, opposite the Sainsbury's and the, uh, um, and the football ground there. So there must have been a wedding. And, you know, I'm just telling you a little bit more about my people. We, when it comes to parking, Nigerians have no respect for laws. So wherever they were, right in front of the uh, barbershop, someone in a white, um, I'm going to say a Mercedes, but it must have been a, a Jeep kind. The person's literally just, just parked half on the road and just somewhere. It's like, and every other car cannot get out. So they're like, where is this person? Okay, another person from another shop has come out and he is absolutely frustrated at this. What does he go to do? He's letting down the, the, the gas, the, the air, in the tire of whoever's car that is. And I was like, what on earth is going on here? It's that people are just acting with, with little regard for anyone and every single person, the lady with a car, the person with the lady, the people who were fighting in a barbershop, the person who's letting down the tires. Thankfully, I didn't bring my son. I wanted to bring him to get his hair cut earlier in the day. I was like, thank you, Lord, he didn't come here. He didn't have to witness this. Because it ties into what I want us to talk about this evening. Because I've been trying to communicate to Ezzy about kindness, being kind to people. And people who are often undeserving of your kindness. There was definitely a lot of teaching material there, but had he seen that, it would have been something different. But I've been trying to talk to him about it because at the beginning of the week, we're walking towards the school and there I am with him holding his hand. We're just uh, uh, walking and we walk past a gentleman who sees us and he says, oh, you know, you know, the kind of look, oh, there's a father with his son going to school. How are you doing? Just a kind, and I said, hey, hey, back. Then he turns to me and said, is that your friend? I'm like, no, it's just a stranger. But we see them and we say, you know, we're, we're kind. And he's like, why? I've been told you don't talk to strangers. That's what mummy says, you don't talk to strangers. And I'm like, yeah, you don't. But that essence of kindness, Kindness is who we are, who we ought to be as the people of God. We ought to be kind. As we're going to come to see that 
Kindness is a spiritual fruit. It's not an option. You don't choose to be kind to some people and unkind to others. Kindness is who we are. This evening we come to see a king who expresses one of the most beautiful acts of kindness to an outcast. For years, the the half-crazed lunatic Saul had been obsessively hunting David like like a beast, like big game. And now Saul was dead. And David had been crowned king of Israel. And what was common practice to do was to exterminate all your rivals and all members of the previous dynasty to eliminate all kinds of threat. Yet David's response was quite the contrary. He sought to show kindness. There we see there in the first verse before we read, is there anyone remaining from Saul's family that I can show kindness to because of Jonathan. Let's read. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read through the entirety of the the chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machi, the son of Amiel, of Lodabar. At Lodabar, sorry. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machi, son of Amiel, at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should regard, show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then King Ziba, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. 
But Mephibosheth's, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray. Oh, Creator God, the Father of all mercies, the Father of loving kindness, may you be kind to us this evening by showing us clearly from your word how we ought to be and how we ought to live. Help me, Lord, as I seek to, to preach this word. May this word come in season to us all this evening. May we know of your kindness to us that we may show kindness to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kindness. Kindness often smacks of softness. Kindness is underrated. We equate it with being nice or pleasant, as though it's mainly about smiling and getting along and not ruffling feathers. Sometimes a rather mundane virtue. There are more important things that we should strive to. But the Bible presents a very different and compelling picture of kindness. What David was expressing was a deeper demonstration of love that is undeserved, that is unearned, that is unrepayable. David had made a promise to Jonathan. If you recall, back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, has Jonathan that he would show kindness to all the remaining members of Saul's household. And now David intended to keep that promise. Finding the only remaining bloodline of Saul's family Obviously not a simple matter in itself, but David located that grandson by the name of Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan himself. And first he learned that Saul's son, Jonathan, was crippled at his feet. And we know that it had happened from a young age. A nurse who picked him up and was fleeing because of the same kind of fear dropped him and he became lame he was crippled living in obscurity uncared for unthought about living in poverty but David found him and that name that even I here I'm struggling to pronounce he brought him forward. And he appeared before David. And obviously, what are you expecting? 
Why has David summoned me? Maybe he's just luring me in so that he can finally put an end to Saul's household. I'm going to be killed. But instead, David says, do not be afraid. There's often obviously fear there. Do not be afraid. I intend to show you kindness. I will restore to you all that your grandfather had. All the fields I will restore to you. And you will eat at my table. An extravagant symbol of David's love for his uh, Mephibosheth's father. His words were an act of grace, symbolic of God's love for David. A demonstration of love towards a man that did not deserve that love. He had done nothing to earn that love and in no way could repay back that love. David, the strong and famous king, reached out to this cripple, this outcast, this nobody in the grand scheme of things. Imagine the release that Mephibosheth must have felt at that point. Expecting the, the sword to be reaching for his neck rather an invitation to the table of the king. I tried to recount this story, uh, sought to recount it yesterday in our daily devotions, family devotions, and you know, it's hard sometimes of a four-year-old who doesn't want to be there, you'd rather be watching cartoons and doing other things. But um, I thank God that, you know, he's, he is, I can see that the Lord is, is slowly working, working in his heart. Uh, um, he understands the things that I teach him. <laughs> Just yesterday, uh, we were at the, we've had a time with another family and um, Right at the end, we've come to that same park where the uh, kid zone is. And we had parked there, gone into the shopping city to have some dinner. We've come back and um, there's other children. So they, they I put the buggy into the car. So the footballs are in the back. I've got, Ezzy has two footballs there. And they're like, oh, let's get the ball and kick about while Noma's talking to uh, uh, the family and we're talking. And the oldest son says, oh, Ezzy, why don't you teach um, um, what's her name again? I think it's Micaiah. So why don't you teach Micaiah how to kick the football? And then Ezzy's like, you know, puts it down. I said, no, you don't, you don't kick it like this. You do it with the, with the laces. And it's like, and I get, and I said, oh, who taught you that? And I'm like, he's going to talk about his, um, his, because he goes to football on Fridays. My daddy taught me that. I'm doing well. Team <laughs> Project Mbappe is working, it's working. <laughs> but then I'm like, why are you not hearing what I'm talking about? And I open the Bible, when it comes to prayer, why are you not repeating that? My daddy's teaching me that, but you know, all in the Lord's time. Uh, but in there, you know, trying to teach Ezzy about kindness and acts of kindness. As, as much as there's so much I can say, I 
come to the conclusion that it has to be who I am. It ought to, the best example that he ought to see ought to be from our, my example of kindness to others. But what can we learn about this story? Firstly, dignity is a most valuable asset. Maintaining our dignity and giving others their dignity. Dignity is a most valuable asset. This cripple, Mephibosheth, was an outcast. A bypassing name from a long gone dynasty, as, you know, as far as Saul is concerned. It's just yesterday's news. And upon hearing this call from David to come forward, Mephibosheth hears and he falls to the floor. He bows his head down there in verse 8. He fell on his face, paid homage, and he answered after David calls his name and says, Behold, I am your servant. He calls himself, refers to himself as a, as a dead dog. A dead dog, a nasty, foul dog. He shows there his low self-esteem and astonishment at the grace being showed to him as he lay there prostrate before the king in his moment of this greatest vulnerability, perhaps the name-calling of a lifetime. That name uh, there is Mephibosheth, the cripple, the nobody, the humiliation, the taunts. He found himself worthless and despicable, expecting the same shame to come from this king. But David never spoke such words of shame. Look at verse 9. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all his house I give to your master's grandson and to your, you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. Grace. Earlier in verse 4, he had called him son. Where is this son? I mean, I wonder how long it's been since Mephibosheth had been called son. I mean, words have a way of changing us. Simple words used rightly have a way of building us up and breaking us down. I went to college in uh, South End and we used to travel. Uh, I used to travel every day uh, to South End to uh, go to college there. I was studying a BTEC National Diploma in Sports Science. And obviously you grow when you make friends and make 
good friends there, and I always sometimes go there and spend time with uh, a particular family who, you know, as a young man, you'd go out and go out into the South End night scene, but I would end up staying at my friend's house and his family would bring me in and they would prepare a room for me, knowing that I was coming. And I recall one particular uh, weekend we were there, the, the subsequent Sunday, uh, you know, I wasn't in the Lord, so I wasn't going to church. They were having a barbecue. And I remember um, a friend of mine, his, his, his grandmother was coming and she was quite elderly. And my friend's parents were telling him, you know, this is, you know, his grandmother's coming and we've got to prepare and she's got to have her own space. And you're going to greet her and say hello and whatnot. And I'm there just standing there thinking, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, this is, this is, this is a white family. And they're saying to me, like, yeah, Charles, when she comes, you just, you just call her granny, granny as well and greet her, give her a, I'm like, whoa, but, you know, she's not, she's not my grandma. But they were like, yeah, she is. You know, whilst you're in our household, you are, your dad said, you're our son. Words I didn't really expect. But I would go there and I would spend time with them and they would make me feel so welcome. They would care for me, they would treat me like their own son. And that was something that I'd never really experienced outside of my own home and my own immediate family. People I don't know that well anyway. Bringing me in, feeding me, caring for me, looking after me as a stranger to them. They used words to, to, to edify me, to build me up, to help me to build my own self-esteem. The time that I spent with them was very forming for me as a person. And I suspect David's words changed Mephibosheth's life too. Words of tender care and kindness and love. Where is the son. Words have a powerful way of bringing healing and restoration. Words can restore one's dignity, setting someone on an esteemed path. You know, after say, oh, you know, when I say, oh, Ezzy, stop, you know, stop being naughty. And I was like, no, 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 we don't call children, call them, don't call them naughty. You know, use different words. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's, you know, he's being disobedient. He's being naughty. And she's like, no. Words are important. You know, we can take those too far at times, but words are important. They have meaning. I know even now as an adult, words that I heard as a child resonate with me today. Words said in anger, words said in passing, words said out of frustration. They've never left me. No doubt the same for everyone sat here today. The dignity that we have and the dignity that we show to others is of vital importance. People that said, oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think back to that and I'm thinking that was nonsense. 
bruises have healed. Fights that I've had, long gone. The words that I've heard have never ever left me. They stay there. You learn to cope a bit better with them, but they stay. Words can damage. Words can lead to wholeness. I also want us to know from this text that secondly, acceptance is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Being accepted is a wonderful feeling. Meshubasheth's life had been one of rejection. When disaster came and Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle, the nurse who cared for him fled in fear. Mephibosheth suffered a fall and was left crippled for the rest of his life. He lived in obscurity and in fear. Lost, forgotten, unimportant. David, in one magnificent gesture of kindness, reached out to him and restored him to an exalted position. You can eat at my table. And we notice he says, he repeats that four times in this short chapter. We're made aware. There, verse 7. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you to, to restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table. Always, Verse 10, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Verse 11, by the end there, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And finally there, verse 13, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. To eat at the king's table was not a temporary honour. It meant that he would have a person from the king for the rest of the, his life. He would always eat at the table of the king. David's kindness would continue throughout Mephibosheth's life. The castaway knew the wonderful feeling of acceptance. He knew the joy of being drawn into a family. He knew the warmth of love. He knew the contentment that comes from someone's care. I used to work in care and support work. So I did everything from domiciliary care to uh, supported housing. And uh, um, you know, we went on to do some, some uh, supervised contacts as well. So basically, you, know, you have families that are, for whatever different reason, they're separated. So, and in some cases, the child might have been removed from the care of that particular family, but the council or the, 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 the government or whatever provide supervised contacts. I'm the supervisor. I just have to go in there and sit there and watch as a parent meets their child for an hour. That was sad enough in and of itself. But that being that, 
I recall as I was returning home, I was just up there in Waltham Cross actually, returning home and there was a young boy who seemed to be lost and he's wandering and, you know, it's confirmed later on as I found out that the young boy was a, a, a Down syndrome child. But he was lost and he was just wandering in um, Asda and he just stopped and it looked like he'd been separated from his, his, his parent and whatnot. And he kept on just shouting, somebody, somebody. Obviously I didn't understand what it meant, but I'm there just watching as a child is lost, calling somebody, somebody. And, was, and a woman just comes from nowhere. She just comes in and just, you know, just hugs him and embraces him. And I don't know why she said it, but she said, oh, somebody is here. Now, I thought that that was, you know, something that was, you know, she was actually his mother. And that was a way of helping him to feel, you know, Relax, oh, I'm back, I'm here, you don't need to be afraid, you're not lost anymore. But it turns out that she was just a stranger, because his mother came back later. She was there, somebody's here, and it calmed him down. And I was like, wow. You know, what a beautiful expression of love. As I think back to it that day, you know, I was thinking, ah, oh. you know, often you think back, and think, I should really have done something, but I'm just there, just watching, whoa, what's going on? The lady saw someone hurting. She saw someone was lost. And she reached out and showed him love. Acts of kindness and love can often be lost in a world that we live in today that tells us you are your own person. Look out for number one. Look out for yourself and those immediately around you. Put a, put a fence around you and your family and don't think about anybody else, but think about yourself. That's not how David reasoned. We tend to stay away from the Mephibosheths of, of this world, the crippled, the lame, those who we deem have nothing for us. We're better served just marginalizing them. But the word of God tells us different and contrary to what the world says. We ought to esteem and respect and love all people very highly. God sees the Mephibosheths of this world as no different to anybody else. They are people just like you and I and they matter. David restored this man's place in the wilderness to a place at his table. A place of barrenness and nothing to a place of honour. He brought him into the palace of the king. When you think about life in the kingdom of God for a moment, what does it mean for the king of heaven to adopt us into his own family? 
No, is it because of our own personal goodness? Is it because of our likable personalities? Is it because of our compelling charm? No. My place and your place at the king's table now and unto eternity is because, and a constant reminder for us, is because of somebody else. We ought to be barren. We ought to be in the wilderness. But the king has reached out to us and showed us acceptance and has brought us to his table. And he grants us a place in his presence for eternity. We've been accepted. Thirdly, restoration is a most cherished need. Restoration is a most cherished need. David was not finished with Mephibosheth. Why do I keep Mephibosheth? He gave him a new identity and a new position. Now he was going to provide for his needs, food, shelter, financial resources. David said, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields. Restored, meaning to bring back into existence or into use that which somebody else has set aside. What David did for Mephibosheth is what the Father has done for us in Jesus Christ. I have a story that, 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 that prodigal son who demands his wealth from his father, takes it and throws it away in a licentious lifestyle. And he returns thinking, ah, oh, even in my father's house, the servants have more than enough to eat. I will come to him and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm sure he must have been rehearsing that all the way. I'm going to say it right. I'm not going to miss any words like this person who's mispronouncing Mephibosheth. I'm not going to get it. I'm going to get it all right. And I'm going to get to the front of, the of my father. I'm going to just, oh, he's not my father anymore. I'm just going to call him Lord or whatever and just say that I'm just going to serve at the back just so I can have something to eat. No. Put rings on his fingers. Put the finest clothes on his back. Kill the fattened calf. Restore to him that which was already his. David could easily have ignored Mephibosheth. And who would have blamed him? Who would have said anything? If we come into this chapter and say, King David had uh, wiped away Saul's line. Ah, oh, Saul, oh, forget about him. Let's move on with the uh, salvation story. It would have been a passing, passing story. No one would have cared. But David didn't ignore him. And again, what about the Mephibosheths all around us? Not just those who are physically damaged, like, us, like some of us, but those who are spiritually, emotionally damaged, like, like all of us in different ways. Those with crushed spirits. Those with wounded bodies. 
and shattered souls. Those with physical needs as well as spiritual needs. What are we doing? How are we caring for them? How are we bringing them in like the Father has brought us in? Are we going to continue ignoring them? But why? You know, deep down, why? Why must we show kindness? I'm sure you know, but I don't need to remind you, but I will remind you. Kindness is who God is. Kindness is what God does. Kindness is a godly trait. God is kind because he cannot be otherwise. It is essential to his nature. And likewise, that kindness becomes part of our new nature. As the Holy Spirit works in us, kindness flows out from us. Kindness becomes part of our conduct. Because our character is rooted in God. Isaiah says in chapter 54, verse 8, In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Everlasting kindness. This was God's promise to Israel. It is his character, it's who he is. Out of the kindness of his heart, he has compassion on his children. Though he was angry for a moment, kindness is an everlasting aspect of his nature. He goes on to say in verse 10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Brothers and sisters, kindness is our ministry. If you are in Christ, kindness is your ministry. When Paul laid out his case to the church in Corinth that he was a true apostle, he did so by detailing the trials he had endured for the sake of the gospel. The inner spiritual life God granted him despite his suffering and the God produced spiritual fruit in his life. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 to 13, Paul details the, 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 the gifts of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those fruits is that proof of his apostleship is kindness. You want proof that I'm an apostle? Here it is, I'm kind. True kindness is spirit-produced. A supernatural, generous orientation of our hearts toward other people, even when they don't deserve it and don't love us in return. You know, we, 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 we want to emphasize to our children, you know, don't talk to strangers because... They may hurt you. They may take advantage of you. And yes, we ought to say that to children that they ought to be weary. 
But that can't be the continual mindset. We are kind, irrespective of what's going to come back to us. Yes, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But we can't be showing love only on the off chance that you know, it might come back to us. And that's not true love. Let's not overlook the verse where David says in verse 3, if there's anyone, is there anyone left from Saul's family I can show kindness of God too? That biblical word there means faithfulness. That kindness word means faithfulness. God has demonstrated grace, kindness, faithfulness to David in so many ways. His life had been spared on numerous occasions. He had fought Goliath and won. He had escaped the snares and the dangers of the wild beasts and, and came out uh, unscathed. His life had been redeemed from the pit of pain and hunger and des desperation more than a few times. We read in the Psalms how David had entered the pits. But God had brought him out. Now David wanted to reciprocate that kindness. Those who had been touched by the grace of God. That's what outflows from us. David's son Solomon says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. But a good word cheers it up. Words of kindness, acts of kindness. How are we to think about this? As you live each day at home, at school, at work, in church, you will find yourself in situations where you are asked to comment, speak, act, and the volatility of your action, whether the words you say can either inflame or soften a situation. No doubt, you know, there was a situation earlier today where kindness was abandoned. For whatever reason, I don't know the circumstances, I don't know the fully. Often the volatility of a situation can ignite or be dissipated by the mere words that we speak. Let's say, you know, you have the two buckets in your mouth. Is that there's two buckets in an inflamed situation. One bucket can either be gasoline, the other can be water. You can either send it and make it worse, or you can quench it. In every situation, you can utter words that bring dignity, that bring restoration. Words that can be demoralizing and that can be breaking. Words that can show acceptance and words that can communicate rejection. Words that can restore a person wholly. 
or destroy them into pieces. David chose to utter words that built up rather than tore down. We carry around all those opportunities to speak words of encouragement, affirmation, love and kindness. One last thought though, what David did for Mephibosheth, God does for us. Remember that. Just as the king brought Mephibosheth into his t- to his table, God has done for you and I. The similarities are just, I found them astounding as I read. And I recount, you know, this me, this servant who in many different ways was crippled of no use. But he was merciful to me. He brought me in. He's blessed me abundantly. Sometimes you often, you know, as David brought this, 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 this nephew of his in, in different ways, this son of his, this close relative. We come in, in, in fear. You know, afraid to enter the presence of God, and oftentimes rightly so. Rightly so. Reflecting and recounting all that we have done. And I think Pastor Ryan gave me a wonderful, wonderful job, and God bless him this morning of opening the scriptures and being reminded of our, of our, of our nothingness, our brokenness, and we need to return there all the time because it gives us a greater picture of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We will never be puffed up when we realize that we were nothing. We were despicable, dirty dogs in the presence of God. And he brought us in. It's not just for a temporary thing. You will eat at my table all your life. God has brought us in and because of Jesus Christ we will always have a place at his table. We bless him in Jesus' name. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness towards us. Father, we ask you to be merciful to us for all the numerous times even this week that we have failed to show kindness to others we have felt that we are more deserving of our standing we have felt that our uh, um, um, way our perspective was more important and have reacted with unkindness i know i have father may you forgive me May you change me. Turn me from from, from the man I I once was and and make me a new creation. I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. And if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, may they know of your kindness. How even bringing them here this evening 
is an outpouring of your kindness to them to hear the gospel, to hear your word, to eat, to drink at your table is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessing. Father, I pray that you might help us. Uh, those who, are, who, who might be here, who ought to be here, but are not able for so many different reasons. Lord, may you visit them this evening. May they be reminded of your kindness to them. Help us, Lord, to be an outpouring of kindness in our ministry, in our homes, in this community. For the name and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.